post-election withdrawal syndrome pills. Um, is that OTC? Is that prescription? I think it's. I think it'll be OTC, OTC. by then. Okay. Yeah. The FDA is going to really move fast on that and then, one. And then we'll do uh, election vaccines. That's three. <laughs> Forever inoculated from elections. Get your booster I would get every that. two years. I would get that. You're listening to the Remarka Brand Podcast, where authentic brands win. With your hosts, Mike Jones and David Kosan. Okay, we're talking about something that's really fun inside the world of marketing and branding, and that is product branding. And as promised, we have back with us Matt Johnston to talk through product branding and how his company, Get Kraken, has been successful in branding their products. But before we get to that, we're going to do a little improv. Oh, man. Name <laughs> 10 things. Are you guys ready? We're ready. I'm ready. Always ready. ready. David? David is so ready. This is so <laughs> exciting. Okay. I want you guys to name 10 hot new products in the year 2025. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Monkey pox erasers. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> One. <laughs> uh, post-election withdrawal syndrome pills. Two. Two. Okay. Um, is that OTC? Is that prescription? I think it's. I think it'll be OTC, OTC. by then. Okay. Yeah, the FDA is going to really move fast on and that then, one. And then we'll do uh, election vaccines. That's three. <laughs> Forever inoculated from elections. Get your booster I would every get two that. years. I would get that. They're going to invent taffy pancakes. Wow. Ooh, taffy pancakes. Four. Wow. Taffy pancakes. That's awesome. Did yeah. they come with the little jokes on the wrapper? Yeah, laffy taffy pancakes. That's awesome. Uh, horns on the cob. we're halfway there um new eco-friendly air conditioners yep Mm, because climate change guys totally yeah uh water you can recycle immediately after you pee it out oh Oh, yeah nice it just goes right back in the bottle it's perfect three more solar powered newspapers (laughs) yep (laughs) That's eight. Uh, Fesla, the knockoff Tesla. A fake Tesla. <laughs> fake Tesla. <laughs> nice. Made in China. Uh, uh, Grubhub is going to merge with Postmates and Uber Eats. <laughs> Grubhub, Postmates, Uber Eats. <laughs> okay. Grub, Grub, Mates, Uber. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Uber that was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, we did it. <laughs> did we, we got to 10? 10. We that got to 10. 10. Okay. 10. We should have gotten to 11 on this one. Find your frequency. All right. Branding for products. But before we start, before we get into that, I think we need to have a quick refresher. Why is a product branding different from branding the company? We talked a little bit about that last time, but I think we need to kind of dive in a little bit more product branding. It's important, right? I I don't think we can ignore that while we're working on these organizational brands that are really important, right? But the product brand also matters. So why is it that we've got to differentiate them? Yeah. Well, we, we talk to a lot of manufacturers mm-hmm. who uh, 
are really good at what they do. They build cool stuff and they think it's so cool that people are just going to flock to them and want to buy it. And that rarely ever happens if ever. Hmm. Um, and so you do need to brand your product. There needs to be an identity there that doesn't just focus on like, here's all the cool stuff that you can do with this, but it also is led by who it's made for Hmm. the audience. And that's a huge ingredient, maybe the most important ingredient when you're thinking about that. Um, and, uh, back to your question of like, why, why did, why is it different to have a product brand versus an organizational brand? Um, and we talked about that in the last episode where you have a product that might stay the same forever, but likely your company is hopefully going to grow and grow into different areas, different audience sectors, and probably different products or Mm -hmm. services over time. So you don't want to pigeonhole yourself into a single product uh, as your company. Uh, You're going to get stuck eventually. Yeah. I like what you said about the audience because I was thinking, you know, the people that you're selling to, there's a relationship that they have with you, the organization or the company, but then there's a relationship that they have with your product or Mm. your service. And I was just actually thinking about Jeeps. There's these commercials that I happen to see for it's Grand Wagoneer, right? Yeah. Those things are expensive. Yeah. Like the, <laughs> there's one starting at like 60 grand and there's another one at like $90,000. Yeah. I'm sure there are people out there who are Jeep people who are nowhere near that level, right? They're, they're Jeep. They love Jeeps. They probably had Jeeps before, but they're not going to go buy the $90,000 yeah. Grand Wagoneer. So that's a good example. Like you don't want to pigeonhole yourself into, well, Jeeps are only for rugged, outdoorsy, you know, single people. They could be for, you know, wealthy, C-level, sweet, you know, execs yeah. that have with, the money to... With seven kids. Right. Sure. Or seven bodyguards. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah, Whichever that's one you want. They all got to fit in there. Yep. They all got to fit in the same car. Yeah. Yep. So yep. Jeep is extending their brand to accommodate different audiences. Yep. And so the relationship yep. you have with a grand, grand Wagoneer is probably different than simple i don't even know what the other jeeps are called yeah but yeah yeah and and a lot of people think of jeep when you think of jeep you're like oh off-roading four by four right four-wheel. they have a lot of vehicles that are not four four by four sure that you'd probably never want to take off-roading um and that's you know over time they've grown into these different customer groups that probably will never go off-roading in their jeep right yep yeah, and there's a, not to rehash last episode too much, but I think there's an angle from the last episode we didn't we didn't really unpack, which is that if you're building the organizational brand really well, people are really bought into that, right? And then they're looking for products that will serve their specific needs yep. that requires you to come up with new ideas, right? To come up with new product lines that maybe you didn't have when you started. So, like, I think of Jeep as a great example, right? Like... I might love Jeep because I get to four wheel and I'm out, you know, doing bouldering and stuff. Well, that's a, that's one use of a Jeep, right? But then there's like my wife who's going to like carry our kids around all day. She probably doesn't want something that's like that incredibly like maneuverable, can like four wheel all the time. She's like, no, I want something a little bit smoother ride, maybe a little quieter that works well, maybe even a little bit more spacious. I can get more car seats in there but really wants a Jeep because that's what we're bought into is the brand, right? Yep. The brand of Jeep. 
full disclosure, I'm not a Jeep guy, but yeah. But that's interesting because I think Jeep, when I think Jeep, that works as both a like a product uh-huh. because Jeep has kind of this specific product. They do. They have a very and a brand strong right? yeah. visual kind of resonance around one particular kind of specific Jeep. Specific right? type of car. Like the original Jeep yep. almost. And then that gets kind of transferred into a lot of the vehicles that yeah. they offer. Um, but I mean, going back, right? Like Salesforce is another good example of an organization that is offering a huge variety of different solutions under their Salesforce name. Um, and each one of those still has to like fit the needs and the applications of each particular kind of customer they're selling to. Some are more geared for marketing. Some are more geared for sales. Some are more geared for business you know, analysis. And those are very different use cases. Those are different personas. Sure. Um, each of those products probably has to talk to a particular audience in a very particular way while still being Salesforce. Right. When Salesforce first came out, I'm sure, at least I think it was B2B. Yep. And it was a specific size of company. Yep. Now, I mean. And it was salespeople. Right. right? It was yeah. like CRM. That's what I knew Salesforce for years and years. Sure. It was like purely just customer relationship management, put all your data in there, keep track of your contacts, keep track of your deals. And now it's like, I mean, you name like anything from demand gen, even brands, you know, automation with your advertising and marketing all the way through to sales and then business like analysis and financials on the back end. It's like, whoa, they're trying to be a lot more than what I originally had in mind with Salesforce. Um, and I think that's a good example of just your product brand is going to evolve over time as well. Right. And so you can't let it just kind of, Oh, well it's doing fine. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Don't need to worry about it. Yep. Um, I can think of like car companies where that's kind of caught them, you know, it's like, Oh, our, our, our institutional, our organizational brand will carry us. And then they have particular issues with certain products. And over time, it's just like, man, you get hammered and you just can't, you can't get that product to work. What does that look like inside of like a professional services company? Yeah. I think it's very similar to the Salesforce approach, right? Your organizational brand is really carrying most of the weight. It's carrying, doing a lot of the heavy lifting. But I think where it, it translates is that each particular major area of problem that you're helping solve. So I think accounting firms is a good example, right? There's very few accounting firms who just only do tax returns um, for a variety of reasons, not least because the customer that you bring in doesn't only need that, right? They're coming to you and saying, hey, we're a business. I need you to do our tax filing, but I also need you to do it for me personally with my family because it just makes more sense for the same accounting firm to do both. So now you're offering services tax, both for businesses and for uh, individual individuals. And then it's like you're going to get you're going to get other problems that that you can help them with. Like, um, hey, you know, our bookkeeper is just not cutting it. Can you guys do our bookkeeping or help us like fine tune our bookkeeping process? Can you help us research whether there's any like special credit tax credits that we can apply for with our research and development? 
Um, and I'm speaking from personal experience right now. We're, we're looking for a new accounting firm. And these are the things I'm asking, like, hey, do you have somebody who can help me with with uh, sales tax and local tax issues? Can you help have somebody who's going to help me with uh, employment withholding for our, you know our employees? Even if it's not doing it, it's like, can you advise me? Because I want to know how to do that in the best way possible for our business and stay compliant and you know be above board. And so that that requires a firm to really say, oh, we do offer different services because not every client's going to need every one of those. And each service kind of has to have its own identity within an identity. And I think that's where like the idea of a family of services, a family of That's where you get these packages concept, right? Yep. Where it's kind of bundled together in a package that I can buy easier. Mm -hmm. It's easier for me to understand what I'm getting in this package, right? Yeah. And if you know who you're, if you know who wants or needs your product specifically, like let's take a B2B company. Let's, let's go back to the accounting example. You have an accounting firm who is specializing in automotive dealerships Mm. and they have these, you know, let's call it three separate products or services that really are great for car dealerships. Um, but who are they talking to at the car dealership? Are they talking mm. to the guy on the lot selling the cars? No, they're not. He doesn't he doesn't care about how his dealership is dealing with all these tax issues. He's probably talking to the CFO or the controller. And so when you figure out who you should be talking to with your products, then you can like talk about them in the right way and figure out you know, even things like, well, how does that, how does the CFO want to be approached? How does he want to be sold to? Does he even recognize that he needs our help? And you kind of start asking these questions from your, you know, target person, persona, and then you can really dial down and communicate well uh, from those product lenses, not, you know, massive, you know, company-wide stuff. You've, You've got these different, you know, Avenues, different solutions, different solutions, and they're probably mm-hmm. all talking to different people, and so they need to talk differently to, to different people. And yet, they still all have to feel part of the same family. Yep. I think that's can get lost too. Is, yep. is like, do they all look like they are belong together? Yep. Um, and that's what sets you apart too. Um, mm-hmm. If you're, let's say, you're an accounting firm, and you are the the really happy everything is glass half glass half full company and that's how you're going to approach everyone then your products are going to be presented that way like have tax issues no problem at all we're going to be here for you we're going to help you solve all these issues you're you're going to be totally fine whereas like there could be another firm that has the same exact services geared towards the same exact people who maybe have a more serious tone or like tax issues those are a big deal we're going to help you with those um, that's a really surface level thing, but uh, it matters how you talk about those things. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I think we've covered really the guts of product branding pretty well. Um, what else do, what, what would be some steps that an accounting firm or a professional services firm or another company needs to start thinking about or taking in order to get their product branded, right? They're thinking, oh, I've got some new products I'm working on. I have some new solutions. I have a new market I'm going to enter into. What are the things they need to be thinking about as they do that to do that well? 
Crickets. Was that the cliffhanger? (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll just go. Do it. I think you start from your your organizational brand. I think you got to start with your values, your personality, and your story that you're telling at the top level, and then say, how does this product fit into that larger story? Right. And and how do we make it make sense? If if someone is already buying with us on a particular solution and they encounter this solution, how will it make sense to them? How will it go, well, yeah, of course they're doing this. This makes total sense. I might not be the right person for that solution. Hopefully they are, but maybe they're not, right? Maybe they're interfacing with you on personal taxes and you offer uh, some business audit, right? That's one of your new service lines. You go, yeah, that makes sense for you because of your organizational identity and what you guys say you do and why you do it, and who you do it for and what's your purpose in the world, right? And the brand that you're putting out there, this identity as an organization, that makes sense to me. I don't need it, but that really makes sense to me. Obviously, if, if they're the person who actually needs that service, they go, yeah, I need both, right? Um, and then how do we how do we launch it in such a way that it, it doesn't detract from the other products and it doesn't detract from the larger brand. I think the temptation for so many is to like, oh, we got to spin up a whole new brand yeah. for this new solution because it's so different. It's so unique and it's got all these things. Maybe that might be true, but is it going to actually feed your larger product or sorry, not your product, but your larger organizational brand? Yep. Is it really going to help drive that and, and drive that forward? And if it doesn't, what I love about that too is it it gives you the fuel to say no. Yep. To say nope, we're not going to do that, or we're not going to do that anymore. We tried, and we figured out it just doesn't fit with who we are as a, as a brand. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. that's a that's a good decision usually when you figure that out. It's interesting. I mean, it also if it feels like it's a different thing, then maybe it needs to be a different thing. Yeah. You know, like it, like I like what you said, Mike. How it's is it a natural kind of next progression or progressive step yep. in our suite of products or services? Does it feel like, oh yeah, of course they would offer that. But if it doesn't, well, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not something to pursue. It just means it might not be a part of this brand. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you, Sam, like maybe nine out of 10 times, that probably means you should just say no. But if you want to explore or experiment, maybe that's a, it's a different yeah. you know, opportunity just, or a different brand altogether just make sure you're ready to count the cost sure right launching a whole new brand it's costly is ex- it's very expensive it's costly right and to do it right you need to be thinking back to like the, I'm, I'm basically standing up a new organizational brand at some point we're going to be like repeating last episode again right <laughs> yeah where our product is going to turn into an organization if it continues to grow um and i, I think that's where yeah there's opportunity to to bifurcate right to say okay we have this brand over here with these products this new idea we have is so different maybe we do need to consider launching a whole new brand but that's going to require its own marketing engine its own kind of brand and um it's going to be it's gonna be a lot of work and that's okay we're ready for that great let's do it um but how can you make it make sense right and i think there's a time too where you can still draw some of those dotted lines right you can kind of say Hey, we're doing this thing over here, but it's powered by this larger brand or this other brand over here. Maybe down the road, we'll we'll separate them more. But for now, we can kind of do both kind of side by side. 
and allow one to kind of grow under the the tutelage yeah. of the other, right? <laughs> um, but I think that's a really hard, it's hard to draw those lines on those decisions without yeah. really doing a lot of hard work and some homework and thinking through, again, who's your audience? Who are you trying to talk to? How different is that audience from who you're already targeting? How different is this product from a mission and vision standpoint from what we're doing with this organization that we already have? Um, how unique is it too? I think that's another really important piece. Like if it's like, oh, we're gonna we're an accounting firm and we're gonna go chase another market, like another industry with the same services we're already doing now. There might be a case to like brand, give that its own identity, but more likely than not, your organizational identity is the value, yeah. right? And it's probably not worth trying to stand up a whole separate wholly contained brand for every industry that you chase with the same services. Now, if it's like whole new industry, whole new service we've never done before, not people we've ever talked to. Okay. Let's maybe talk. Maybe there's a, maybe there's something there for a unique identity all yeah. on its own and it's worth putting in the effort to do yep. that. And those things typically work themselves out over time. We've talked to a lot of businesses who tried to shoehorn a, a product into their existing line and mm. over time they realize yeah, this just isn't working this is there's a lot of friction here and uh on the flip side of that when you do kind of maybe you integrate a new product or service and it does fit and you figure it out and it just seamlessly kind of fits into your brand uh, your organizational brand it's beautiful yeah it's really it's it fun is. to see it is find your frequency. As promised, Matt Johnston, CEO of Get Kraken, is back with us for a second episode. His company, Get Kraken, is a leading provider of Git tools for software developers. And as we discussed on our last episode, Matt led them through a very successful rebrand shortly after joining the company. And today we're going to now shift to talking about product branding and more specifically, a decision made inside of product branding called product-led growth. And Matt, since Gitkraken used this model, tell us about product-led growth and the success you've had branding your products under this model. Yeah, so product-led growth, or you, you might see it as PLG, uh, is basically you know, a, a new way of bringing your solutions to market. And what it means is, you know, historically, if you think about SaaS companies, uh, think about Salesforce, think about Modic, think about Marketo, um, you know, pick your poison. Um, it meant that there's a sales rep and they're going to, you know, you can, you can fill out a form and they'll give you a demo. And if you like it, you know, then they maybe, maybe you'll get a trial, but yeah. more likely they'll give you a quote, you know, and then you yep. have a bake off and, and that is okay for some types of audience. Um, I don't think it's a good idea for developers for sure. Yeah. Uh, and so product led growth is this notion that you should, you should be able to buy, uh, first you should be able to try before you buy. And secondly, you should be able to buy on your own terms. Hmm. If you want to talk to someone, you can talk to someone. Most developers don't want to talk to anyone. Yep. Um, and so it's the frictionless, no touch ability, um, to, you know, to not only bring people to the right solution, but allow them to try it freely. Uh, and that takes two forms. It could be free trial or it could be freemium. Mm -hmm. And in our case, one of the things that's unique about Gitkraken is we actually do both. Hmm. Uh, so there is a seven day free trial for, for, um, most of our products. Um, and then there's an ongoing freemium. 
Uh, so it's it's kind of unique. Usually it's one or the other. It's free trial or freemium. We have actually kind of taken the best of both worlds and said, hey, you've got a you know free trial for a period of time uh, between seven and thirty days, and you can use the entire product, you know everything. Uh, and then if you want to keep going and you're using it on open source projects, you can use it free forever. And mm-hmm. it's not feature gated. It's the whole product. Mm-hmm. But if you want to use it on private repositories or commercial products, uh, projects, uh, that's when you would actually upgrade. Um, so if you think about companies like Calendly mm-hmm. or Slack, um, you know, Box, Dropbox, yep. uh, they, those are great examples of product led where you don't ever have to talk to anyone. You don't yep. have to sit through a demo. You know, we're actually we're actually test driving uh, some software right now within Gitcrack, and I won't say what category, and I won't <laughs> I won't point a finger at these companies, but the, it's taken months for us just to get through their sales process. Yeah, and because it's all gated. It's all gated. Oh, you yeah. have to talk to our CEO before we can approve a trial. <laughs> and we're literally sitting here saying, "Can we give you money, yeah. please? Yeah, we just um, want to use it. We just want to use it." Yep. And so, product led growth is is usually a bottom up adoption as opposed to a top down motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that, you know, speaks to we have 100 employees in the company and literally zero of them have sales in their title or sales in their responsibility. Hmm. There's no BDR. There's no demos. There's none of that. We have two people that, that are in customer success and do a phenomenal job with it. But that's onboarding and training big customers. That's somebody going and saying, hey, I want to add 100 seats. OK, you know, well, yeah. let, let's work through that. Or I want to try one of your other products. OK, let's let's get you set up. But even then, it's only when asked. Uh, and it's incredibly low touch. Mm. Uh, and so uh, one of the things that drew me to Gitkraken was, you know, not only that it's serving developers, not only the stage and the success, not only that it's profitable, which matters more and more in times like this, yep. uh, it was the fact that it's product-led and it's pure product-led, which to the, you know, the recovering CMO in me is <laughs> just manna from heaven, right? You're not yeah. sitting around saying like, oh, what's my sales team saying? What are they, what's going on in the field? Our marketing has to bring the right people to the table. Mm-hmm. And our product has to, you know, start yeah. and win the trial. Yep. If it doesn't, then we failed and we don't have a business. Uh, and so we are laser focused on those types of things. Yeah. And I'm sure that puts a, a very high bar on just the experience you create with the product itself. Right. Because that's really what's determining whether someone's going to stick or not. hundred percent. And it goes even beyond the product. Right. It's everything from that that intro mm-hmm. tutorial to the welcome email to your support content. Uh, to the marketing website and, and the expectations you set during the, the trial process. And I love that about it, that it's it's every single brand touch point um, weaves together to create this you know great experience or this broken experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like more and more there's this larger conversation happening about not just the product experience, not just the marketing experience, not just if there is a more traditional sales experience, right? right? It's the entire customer experience. Yeah, and if you're um, product-led... You know, there are no bodies to throw at the problem, yeah. right? You can't, you don't have a salesperson holding their hand. You don't have an account manager who can say, oh, don't worry about it. I'm sorry. Our platform's a mess. I'll take <laughs> care of it for you. Uh, it, it forces yeah. meritocracy. Yeah. Uh, and we were talking about in the process of a rebrand, how it brings a team together and they have mm-hmm. a shared vision and a shared you know, definition of success. Well, that's what product-led growth requires, right? Mm-hmm. It's not marketing saying like, well, I got, I got a bunch of leads. I have the MQLs. I did my part. Sales team can't close. And sales is saying, oh, those leads were garbage. <laughs> this is one experience. Yep. Uh, it's one you know, funnel. It's one um, journey from A to Z. Mm-hmm. And so if any group or any piece of that is broken, it becomes readily apparent very quickly just based on the data, based on the feedback. And you can look at it and, and you can just constantly tune and adjust it, which is one of the coolest things. Yeah. Um, on that kind of note, I've I've seen 
I, I'm asking because I want to find out if what I've seen is right. That one of the challenges with being very product centric and especially if you're very customer centric, right, with your products, that there can be a temptation to let them morph in the direction the customer wants to see them go rather than maybe according to the brand's kind of authentic vision. Uh, how do you balance those two needs? Because at some level, like you've got to deliver value for your customers. And that means listening, yeah. right? And saying, what, do, what is it you need? Um, but on the flip side, it's like you can easily stray, I think, if you take that too far. Yeah, we're incredibly lucky in this regard. And I'd love to tell you it was, you know, my vision all along. <laughs> um, we have a ridiculously low concentration of revenue in mm -hmm. any one customer. So our oh, biggest customer is less than one half of 1% of revenue. Wow. Uh, which means we get to listen. It's a meritocracy. Yep. We get to listen to that customer, but we also listen to the indie developer. We listen to the startup team. And sometimes they might actually pull us in directions of where the market's going. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we get to, you know, we don't have to sit back and say, oh my God, they're 28% of revenue. We're going to yep. do whatever they tell us. And I've lived in companies like that. And it's very difficult to escape that gravitational pull of your biggest customer. Uh, here, you know, we, we have customer advisory groups, and some of them are big enterprises with a thousand seats, and some of them are new users to us, and some are indie developers, and some are international. And, you know, we just have conversations and, and listen to them. And a lot of what we're doing is pattern recognition. Hmm. Maybe you talk about it differently than you do, but you're both trying to solve the same problem. Great. We found a theme. Yep. Let's go do that. Yep. No, that's really good. That's really cool. Uh, mergers and acquisitions. You said there was one one acquisition right before you came on. Is that right? Yep. And then you've had another since then. How do you manage those as the brand? Right. If they're if they're adopting your brand, there's a whole level of kind of managing all those new people that you're intaking, new products that have to be merged in. Um, you know, the brand is is so core to that. Maybe speak to that a little bit. Yeah. It, you're 100% right. M&A is a wild card when it comes to the brand, right? It might be additive and beautiful, or it might be disruptive and disjointed. And I would actually say, you know, it begins at the beginning. Hmm. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you have identified the right types of M&A um, opportunities, then they fit naturally. They fit your user base. They fit your product suite. They fit your North Star vision. Um, then... I won't say the branding takes care of itself, but you don't have all of these obstacles in place to say, why do these two things live together? And so in our case, we were really, again, I won't say lucky. I'll say we were really fortunate and, and the, the team that did that work was phenomenally well-equipped to do it. Hmm. These three products were destined to live hmm. uh, together. Uh, you know, what we have are three products. One is a client for the desktop. One is uh, an, an IDE extension. Um, and one is an issue tracking system extension. Mm -hmm. And those are the three three primary surfaces that a developer wants to interact with their code. They wanna write code or they wanna review someone else's code or they wanna comment or test. And sometimes that's on the desktop, sometimes that's in the, the development environment, the IDE, mm -hmm. and sometimes that's in the issue tracking system. And so these three fit together so well that we didn't have, uh, we didn't have to do a lot of stretching and kind mm -hmm. of trying to figure out why are these three cars parked in one garage. Uh, they were destined hmm. to, to live together because they're so complimentary. That's, that's, uh, yeah, fortunate. Yes. <laughs> and probably, um, you know, there's, there's some good intentionality in that, right? Yeah. Um, it's, I, it's not just 
luck of the draw. There's no, I'm sure there's, a lot of good thinking going into that. Yeah. In fact, when the private equity firm uh, actually made the majority investment in Get Kraken in August of 2020, um, as they were doing their due diligence, they had identified these two companies mm -hmm. as number one and number two on their we hope someday list. Yep. Uh, and so to be able to follow through that in, you know, within 12 to 14 months and actually get your your top two choices and, you know, not just the products and the customer base, but actually add the leadership. Mm -hmm. So one of the acquisitions uh, of GitLens brought us our chief technology officer mm -hmm. um, and the other one brought us a general manager of that entire product line. And they're part of the leadership team. You know, there is no us, them. Um, they're, you know, they're in it. And, and now, you know, they've gone from building their own thing to building the greater Git Kraken. And when you can get those things right, you know, the alignment around, is this a good fit for our portfolio? Is this a natural extension for our audience? Uh, and then if you can get the details right of the compensation, making sure we're all, our incentives mm -hmm. are aligned, you know, they are in it for Git Kraken. Um, yeah. You know, they're not sitting around saying like, yeah, but that's not the way I used to do it. Yeah. Uh, and so if you can get those two pieces right, a lot of the tumblers fall into place around mm. M&A. The challenge is those are two really difficult things to get right. <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen a lot of organizations not get them right, and it's a mess. Yeah, it's a it's a really hard mess. It's a mess, and it, it, I mean, people think about the cost, but it's really the opportunity cost. Yep, you burn you know quarters and even years scuffling trying to make this thing work. You know, these two puzzle pieces were never meant to fit together, yep. but somebody made a decision, and now yep. I have to jam them together until they sort of fit and they never really do. Yeah. Yeah. And the talent that you're going to turn through in that process is just, Ooh. is really hard. Yeah. Um, I've been, I've been personally through that yeah. <laughs> with one organization that I worked for and it was, uh, it was hard. It was really hard. Yeah. And you know, in, in a, in a time and place where just because you live in Phoenix doesn't mean you have to work for a Phoenix based company, right? Yep. You can work for a company in London. You can work for a company in the Valley or New York city. Um, you know, and your best employees have the most opportunity. So if you start to frustrate those people and they're banging their head yep. against the wall, trying they're to out. trying to make a decision that you made work, uh, and it's not going to work, yeah, you're you're not only going to lose the you know the success of the acquisition, you're going to lose some of your top talent. Yep, which is going to have an impact down the road too. You know that institutional knowledge loss. Um, you know these are probably the best people to figure out that integration sure. process. Right, and if they're not on board, um, it just makes it that much harder. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's that's really really interesting. I love talking about mergers and acquisitions. I think that's one of my one of my favorite kind of hot hot topic. Like, how do you get multiple brands to become one? You know? Yeah, it's uh, there's there's a high science to it. Right, there's plenty of art as well. But yep. like I said, I think so much of it begins at the beginning. Yep. Uh, if the puzzle pieces were really you know intentionally built and, and kind of meant for each other, yep, then it just removes so much of the friction and guesswork. Yep. That's so very true. Uh, what's the most interesting or unique thing you've done so far to, to build the Get Kraken brand? Uh, so in the midst of a pandemic, in the fall of 2021, we launched our first ever um, branded virtual conference. Um, and that's kind of an unusual time to do that. Everyone's Zoom fatigue. This was in <laughs> October of 2021. Yeah. Uh, and so everyone's fatigued and I don't want to you know, sit and consume more content. And they steered right into it and said, no, this is the right thing. And we think that we have, you know, a big enough audience and engaged mm -hmm. enough audience. Uh, and so they put together, you know, this, this wonderful GitCon. 
it's called, uh, GitCon with a K, and there'll be another one coming up this October. I love it. Um, and, it, you know, great content, not only from us, but from partners, mm-hmm. from, you know, from other thought leaders. Uh, and it was really just centered around, again, the developer. It wasn't for the CTO. It wasn't for the analyst. It wasn't for, you know, even customers necessarily. It was for the developer. And there was, you know, kind of early stage novice content. There was intermediate content. There was advanced content. Um, and we ended up drawing, you know, 4,000 attendees, uh, half of whom were completely new to us. Uh, and so, you know, this was when the company was still called Axosoft. And so, you know, we expect a, an even bigger and, and better uh, GitCon this year where we'll probably expand it out to multiple tracks uh, in the even multiple days. Hmm. I love that. I think conferences and just events in general are one of the more, I think, interesting ways to extend the brand and really start to create an experience around it that's beyond the product. Yeah, we're even thinking about assuming that, you know, the pandemic stays somewhat at bay, uh, you know, do you start to introduce an in-person element to it, mm-hmm. either for local users, local customers, uh, or even if we just brought in some of our, our larger customers as an opportunity to spend some time with them. So I don't know if that'll be part of this year or not, mm-hmm. but uh, certainly on our mind uh, to start to, to say what's the, the best blend of virtual and physical. Yeah. Well, I'll be watching to see what you do. Right. So that's a pressure's on. That's a, <laughs> that's a hard question for a lot of, a lot of groups right now. Yeah, is how to how to slice the event pie and well, do you do hybrid? Do you do two totally different events? One virtual, one in in person? Do you even try to tackle in person at all? Yeah, and you're trying to predict the unpredictable, yep. right? And and so I think you know just like we try to stay nimble and agile as a brand and from a product perspective, you know we're going to have to to roll with it and and try to you know put together the best experience, the best set of content for that audience and just be again really true to them not only in the substance of it but in the mm-hmm. style of yeah. it. Yeah. I love that. Um what's next for Get Cracking? Oh, nothing. Nothing mm-hmm. much. Yeah, we're just <laughs> hanging out. Cruise control. <laughs> Somehow I doubt that. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of work in front of us. Um you know, we've done a really good job integrating those two companies uh mm-hmm. in a short amount of time, you know, and this is a, a a local team that hadn't really been through that before. It was mm-hmm. this bootstrapped startup, um really well run, profitable. Uh, but hadn't been through the M&A process either of getting acquired or of acquiring other companies. And so the team, you know, rallied and did a really good job of bringing in the people, the processes, the products, the prices, the customers, and and really, you know, grafting it together well in just a matter of, you know, six months or so. Hmm. Um, With that said, I would, you know, I think we have a lot of work to do. I think we we position our products fairly well. Uh, We're very clear about it. You know, what's the value prop? Who's the audience? What are the use cases? Where do we win? Where do we lose? I don't think we do that very well as a company yet. Uh, and so, you know, as a marketing centric CEO, uh, that's on my mind and on my list uh, of responsibilities to help us, you know, find that North Star and then articulate it into this brand story, not only of a great product or great mm-hmm. products, but a great company and a great mm-hmm. place to work. Yeah. Yeah. Talent, talent acquisition is so incredibly important right now. Yeah. And kind of integrating the brand, not just on the marketing side, but throughout that entire employee experience. Yeah, for each audience, right? Customers want to hear, you know, one set of of needs addressed, prospects, it might be something else, partners, it's something else. And, you know, even things like media or prospective employees or current employees, you know, you have to be able to map your message and your value prop back to that audience and what really resonates for them. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, If you're up for it, I have one little game that we like to play. Sure. Um, we're big into improv, so we play a game called Name 10 Things. Oh, boy. <laughs> so uh, I'll give you a category, name 10, I'll fill in the blank, and just off the top of your head, 
and there are no wrong answers. So don't don't feel inhibited to come up with answers that are uh, I might disprove that, that right. theory. But <laughs> uh, if you're up for it, that's sure. that's what we like to do. Fire so, away. All right, name ten trends in software development that you see coming. Oh boy. Uh, or it can be happening right now. Yeah. So. 10. Someone's yeah. going to have to keep count yeah, for me. I'll, we'll keep count. For All me. right. Uh, the first one I would say is that every company is a software company. Mm. Um, you know, some of our, our companies, you would just kind of chuckle at and you'd be like, wait, why do they have a thousand engineers? <laughs> and the answer is they're building back office systems. They're building yep. smart devices. Uh, so whether it's financial services, insurance, manufacturing, every company is a software company. Hmm. Um, it's not necessarily software development, but I'll say it affects the mm. software development process user expectations are ridiculous. Uh, they're unfair, right? Everyone expects everything to be this Apple-esque, Tesla-esque experience where everything works perfectly as I, you know, and anticipates uh -huh. my every want. Uh, so it just raises the bar. Um, and, and, you know, you have to get everything right from your website to your product, to your mobile app, to your return policy, to your support system. The entire customer journey has to just be this beautiful, perfect mm -hmm. thing. Uh, a little bit more technical one um, is distributed teams, Great. you know? And yep. that's that. That's one of the areas we play really well. Not only about the productivity of the individual developer, but about the collaboration across teams. You know, you might want to work at night, and I work in the morning. You might be in Spain, and I'm in the West Coast. Um, you know, we're we're sort of on different teams. You're working on the mobile app, and I'm working on the website. Um, but having that that visibility and that collaboration is incredibly important. Hmm. Um, how many is that? You're at three. All right. The next one I would say is the need for speed. Uh, so we've gone from a waterfall world where you launch, you know, once a quarter, once a year uh, to an agile world where you're launching more and more rapidly. And now we're into the the evolution of continuous integration, continuous deployment, which hmm. is, hey, I've got a new thing. It passed yep. through all of our tests. And it doesn't have to be a big release. Get it out there. Yep. Um, the fifth one, I would say, is that it, it almost inverts the notion the developer in a lot of cases is, you know, is the star. Uh, and the development manager or director is managing the stars. Uh, and so almost like a professional basketball team, you know, where, you know, you're you're managing a lot of perspectives, agendas, egos, things like that, uh, just different points of view and different personalities. And so I think the, you know, the developer has been uplifted and the spotlight has been put on them. Uh, and the development manager has is now trying to juggle a lot more than they used to when it was a command and control type world. Hmm. Um, next one I would say is the technology has changed for sure, right? And that could be the, the tools that developers use. It could be things like the cloud. You know, you used to have to have a server sitting over there in that closet. And now you're just like, oh, I'm just going to spit up, you know, an AWS instance and it'll <laughs> yep. be fine. Um, totally different world now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next one I'll say is is just the form factors that that technology lives in, right? Mm -hmm. For a long time it was, okay, it's a desktop client. Cool. All right. All right. It lives in a browser. Then it was mobile. Then it's IoT. Now it's just, you know, smart devices. The lawnmower needs to be connected to the <laughs> vacuum. Um, you know, the refrigerator needs to be able to order for you. Um, and so, again, I think that, that not only does it increase um, the number of applications and code bases, but it, it also just you know, raises the bar. Again, consumers expect it to all be perfect. And I don't really care that, you know, your job is hard. Your job's yeah. hard, so is mine. <laughs> you know, make it work. Uh, so that's, you know, that's another big trend. Um, You're at seven. We're at seven. Trends in development. 
Uh, you know, the other one I would say is interesting that we're seeing, and this is a little bit technical, but uh, historically, you know, the Git Kraken client lives on your desktop. Hmm. Uh, and if you look at uh, what GitHub is doing, what Microsoft's doing with VS Code, there's this move back to like, well, maybe you shouldn't have to have like a terminal or a client. Oh, interesting. Maybe you should be able to write code and interact with code in the browser. Yeah. Uh, like marketers, you know, write yeah. their content or yeah. salespeople, you know, manage their contacts. Uh, and so there's there's kind of a recent shift towards, you know, how do we go from having to have, you know, this big desktop or a, yeah. a really powerful laptop? What if it lived in the browser? What if it lived in mobile? Am I going to go write code on my phone? No, but do I want to be able to you could edit it. review it? Yeah. Do I want to be able to sign off and say, yeah, that's what I was talking about? Yeah. So I think we're seeing almost the consumerization mm. of the developer stack uh, where like you know, suddenly, you know, we have conversations about do we need to have a mobile app? You know, and, and if so, what are the use cases that that would need to support? Because you know, maybe I'm not going to write lines of code, but I could edit, yep. I could review, I could sign off on something, and that's a big part of the developer flow as well. Hmm. Um, I don't know if it's a new trend, but I'll, I'll just say it's a new, you know, it's a heightened emphasis around security, hmm. right? And that's everything from network security to the database side of things, but it's also just any kind of vulnerability. There's so many bad actors, and, and trust is so easily lost uh, that if you get that wrong, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really tough to bounce back from, uh, with your audience and even from a brand perspective, right? You know, if, if you have that outage, if you have, you know, this, yeah. this big, um, breach, just tough. And, and I think in some ways consumers have gotten a little desensitized to like, oh, okay, well yeah. this happened to that retailer, this happened to that bank and oh, my information's out there. But one group that hasn't been desensitized to it is developers, <laughs> uh, you know, hard yeah. expectation. Yeah. Um, how many was that? You're at nine. All right. My 10th one. one. Uh, we talked about the need for speed uh, in terms of development cadence. We are perpetually impatient users now. <laughs> so what, what you know, used to be okay. You'd, you know, you'd go into your CRM and you'd hit, uh -huh. I want to look at this report. And 20 seconds would go by and the page would load. We just have no tolerance for that. And, nope. and I, again, doubly true for developers. Like we want things yeah. to be performant. We want it right now. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that that's really difficult sounds a lot like a you problem, <laughs> not a me problem. Yep. Those were great. That was awesome. You flew right through it. Cool. Uh, Matt, is there anything, uh, if people want to find out more about Git Kraken, do you guys have anything coming up that you want people to know about? Uh, what can they, how do they, how do they get involved? Yeah. So obviously you can follow us on social media. Uh, it's mm -hmm. Git Kraken with a K, actually two Ks. Um, GitKraken.com. Uh, the one thing I'll say is, you know, we are hiring. Mm -hmm. um, it, it feels to me like the job market's tilting uh, yep. a bit you know we're starting to see more talk of layoffs we're actually seeing yep. some layoffs um and so you know the the plug i'll offer out there is you know not only are we growing not only are we hiring uh but we're profitable hmm. and we're building it sustainably uh so that we can weather storms like you know like like economic yep. turbulence that's the kind of company i think everyone wants to work for and should work for yeah that sounds great cool uh we'll make sure that uh, all those links are in the show notes if everyone wants to find out more they can check that out there um just want to thank everybody for listening in to another episode of the Market Brand Podcast. Um, and just thank you, Matt, so much for coming on and chatting so much about Git Kraken, your experience, brands, mergers, acquisition. I mean, we covered like, I don't know, 30 different topics. We today. covered some ground. We no. covered some ground. <laughs> thanks for having me. This is awesome. So this was super awesome. And uh, thanks for coming to the studio, which yeah. is always super fun. Yeah, my pleasure. So. The Remarka Brand Podcast is a project of Resound and is recorded in Tempe, Arizona, 
with hosts Mike Jones and David Kosand. It's produced and edited by Sam Pagel. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and at RemarkableCast.com. If you'd like more episodes, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you prefer to get your podcasts. To contact the show, find out more about the Remarkable Brand Podcast, or to join our newsletter list to make sure you never miss another episode, check out our website at RemarkableCast.com. Copyright Resound Creative Media, LLC, 2022.